there's a lot of great things, but it might not be really where I'm going to thrive and succeed. I think that's a, an incredible strength to be able to do that in the hiring process rather than waiting one, two, three months down the road and saying, man, I wish I knew it was going to be like this. Welcome to Revenue Insights. Every week, we'll be joined by revenue leaders from some of the most successful and highest growing companies. Together, we explore how they built their revenue teams, the journeys that they've been on, and the lessons they've learned along the way. Revenue Insights is brought to you by Ebster. We're a revenue intelligence platform designed to help revenue teams to build more pipeline, close more deals, and retain more customers. Hello there. You are listening to Revenue Insights. Today, I'm joined by Jenny Trimmer, Chief Revenue Officer at Thomas International. Jenny's career has seen her lead sales teams across a number of SaaS and consulting businesses, winning multiple sales and leadership awards along the way. Jenny, great to speak with you. Welcome. Thanks so much for having me. It's a pleasure. Well, for anyone that, that's listening that perhaps hasn't come across you before, or maybe they have, could you tell us a little bit more about your story and how you've got to where you are today? Sure. So I always describe myself very much as an accidental salesperson. Early in my career, I was a dancer. I worked in nonprofit. I very much intended to work in the nonprofit space and then made my way into the for-profit world when I joined CEB Corporate Executive Board, which is probably best known for being the house of the challenger mm. sales, literal approach and methodology coming out of Matt Dixon and the team there. And so I was talent spotted, essentially. And when I joined the revenue world over 20 years ago, there weren't a lot of people that looked like me. So, you know, it was very much male heavy function. Most of the women tended to go into customer success. And I was very lucky in that someone said, you know what, Jenny, you've been working on these projects to launch these programs for finance leaders in Europe. Why don't you go and actually do the selling? And I kind of said, really? Are you sure? And it ended up being a great match and a great fit. So a lot of the core skills that I had in terms of curiosity and verbal prowess and tenacity as people who work with me still will say were great fits for that, but I didn't have someone that allowed me that bridge to that career. And so I spent a long time at CEB, saw it through many different guises and move on from CEB when it became part of Gartner and moved on to the SaaS space and specifically staying within the HR domain, which has come to be my home over the last 20 years. So a few different HR technology companies, most recently, before I joined Thomas, spending a period at Coursera, supporting them in scaling the EMEA business and through the IPO, which is a very exciting period as well. And then recently now, about 18 months, I've been with Thomas in the HR technology space as well very much around people insights and analytics, which is really interesting as a revenue leader also, having not used a platform like this before and seeing how important it is and opening up the talent base, really raising understandings of different people's profiles, their ways of working, their ways of communicating and giving everyone that opportunity to use their core strengths and also flex around the needs of others as well. So it's been a very circuitous path in many ways. And it's also 
I'm quite fortunate because I have a great coach in my other half who also happens to be a chief revenue officer, which is cool. And we have different surnames. So you're not going to find him very easily too, which is fun. But uh, it's been interesting. We've been on similar paths in different ways over the last 20 to 25 years. Amazing. I'll take that as a challenge to try and find him. <laughs> Love your background. There's probably two bits I'm really interested in, but actually what stood out was you mentioned how interesting it is as a revenue leader in the HR space. Why? Oh, where to start? I mean, the thing that is beautiful about the HR space is it's extremely intuitive and impactful. We are all employees. We've all been employees. We've all worked for someone. Many of us have managed someone. And so a lot of the challenges and opportunities of doing this well or doing it poorly are super intuitive, right? And so if I think about in my own career as an example, and certainly thinking about many of the women that I've worked with, women generally at times have circuitous career paths. They may take time off for children. They may work part-time. They may do different things. And so if you think about hiring and talent and hiring someone that looks and has done exactly what everyone else has looked and done like, we really limit that talent pool. And so what I found really interesting is using that lens of people insights and being able not only to look at what people have done, but really understand their ability and capability to do more and do different so that you can really hire much more for potential as well. That for me is just one example of why that melding of HR technology and revenue is such an interesting interplay because it's something that certainly I can use very personally in my own workflow here at Thomas as well. Mm, it's very, I agree, it's very interesting. And it feels very relevant and timely in certainly in like our world. So from like a sales perspective and some of the analysis that we've done, specifically rep churn is up from 22 to 36% a year on year. So there's evidently through a lot of B2B companies, you know, for those folks that are falling short of their their, their targets, that as I think has become commonplace in sales, you know, you've always got this revolving door policy in a way. And I'm very curious in your world and, and perhaps not just sales alone, but how you actually apply your own technology to ensure that you aren't in that situation, right? Because the, the idea being is that you're making the right hires in the first place and you're making the right investments to further down the line, ultimately not need to have that revolving door. Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, I think there's such a bias to hiring from the big brand names that we know, mm. right? And as you worked at one of those big brand names, doesn't mean that you actually shape their ultimate success within that process. So I think that's a really important piece of things. And when you think about trying to understand people, if you're coming into a scale up or for a more early stage business that's really reinventing itself in a lot of ways as we are, my ability to hire for ambiguity acceptance is hugely important. If you have low ambiguity acceptance just in your core DNA, a business that is dynamic and changing and moving really quickly is going to frustrate you hugely. And I'm not doing that candidate any favor or the business any favor to hire them in here, irrespective of their many talents. And I think it's really important because especially in certain economic environments like this one, that hiring conversation gets to be very one-sided. And I always, when I'm doing interviewing, I talk with them, it's a mutual fit. 
And the more that we can expose and understand ourselves to be able to say, yes, there is a fit here equally, you know, I think I'm going to have to opt out because there's a lot of great things, but it might not be really where I'm going to thrive and succeed. I think that's an incredible strength to be able to do that in the hiring process rather than waiting one, two, three months down the road and saying, man, I wish I knew it was going to be like this. Just a quick reminder, and then we will be right back to the show. At Revenue Insights, our goal is to share how top performing revenue leaders build predictable, efficient, go-to-market teams. Every week, we speak to the brightest minds, and every quarter, we release the latest findings from our analysis of billions of dollars in pipeline. If you don't want to miss out, sign up to our newsletter at ebster.com forward slash newsletter dash sign up. That's ebster.com forward slash newsletter dash sign up. The link to make that a little bit easier for you will be in the show notes of this episode wherever you're listening. See you there. Yeah, for sure. How do you approach making the right hire? So if you're hiring for a new role, what are you looking for? How do you approach that? So there's a lot of things that you can teach people. There's certain traits that are either in your core bones or they're not, right? And so one of those that is hugely important for me in my hiring is curiosity. And curiosity is a great one because it manifests itself and is demonstrated not only in work, but also outside of work as well and the passions and things that people pursue. Because the thing that you get with curiosity is someone who's always looking to understand why. How can we do it better? Is there another way to approach this? And again, there's certain businesses, usually on the larger side, where you're in kind of rinse, repeat, stamp out the model and keep going with the model. But on the side of businesses that I enjoy operating into, you're usually into the figure it out, find the best way, be agile, look to improve as well. And I think without curiosity, you're going to struggle to find that. And I think also the thing about curiosity and that dynamic, it's not just on me. It's not just on my revenue leadership team even to do the figuring out. I would hope that everyone from those junior to senior person has that same curiosity and just that desire to get things better as well. Well, I feel like I have to ask, conversely then, what's the most common red flag? I am very averse to high egos. So I, I always talk about kind of humble and hungry or two really important attributes for me. At a certain point, as a leader especially, it's really not about you and your greatest success is being able to disappear and have everything continue to operate to great outcomes without your direct involvement rather than the other way around. So that is really, really important. And the other thing I would say to frontline sales managers is if you are not actively using live exercises and panels as part of it, so practical, show me how you sell panels, you are missing a trick. Salespeople have many great attributes. Being able to talk their way through everything and anything is one of them. So between a CV and a great story, I think you can hide sometimes the gaps in that. And in my last business in using panels, I was amazed at how many people were unsuccessful in those because they actually lack some basic sales prowess and skills. Love that. I want to pick on something that I picked out from your LinkedIn that I know that you were talking about this week as of recording at the beginning of February. You've been busy doing sales kickoffs, I saw. And I would love to ask, how do you craft an effective sales kickoff? How do you make it effective? So 
So for me with the sales kickoff, a huge part of it is what are the big themes that we want to land? What are those few very specific items that are going to be the key drum beats that we come back to time and time again across the year that will drive disproportionate outcomes? And I think in any environment, right, whether we're talking about monthly meetings, quarterly meetings, sales kickoffs, it's really easy to get into information, delivery information, relay mode. And in a hybrid work environment, let's admit it, that's extremely boring. I can't tell you the number of meetings that I sit in where you can just see the side typing, the side screens. It's really hard to capture and keep people's attention in this environment. So for me, as you think about formats, also having the opportunity to co-create more actively in terms of solutions, ideas, opportunities, and actively inviting that is really key. And so if you think about for us here at Thomas this year, one of the key themes for us is really selling and serving to business impact and business value. Because I think as we've all seen right now, it's a down economy. It's very easy to talk yourself into a corner around failing from the first step because it's hard, it's hard, it's hard. I have lived through enough of these environments and I can tell you going back to 2008, it was a hell of a lot harder as well. People spend and invest in the things that they think are going to matter to the topics that they need to deliver on for those the business, full stop, right? And if we take the time to really ground in that and understand that, and understand the unique nuance of a business and build points of view coming into conversations, it drives disproportionately different opportunities to bridge into impact around that versus what do you need? Here's the widget. I can fulfill the need for the widget. And I think a lot of companies are still stuck in that mode. I have two questions and I don't know which way to go. Let's start with, I'm actually just really interested in myself. Why do you think, you know, going from 2008, when it feels like a lot of, you know, we've been there before. And I'm very interested why we kind of slipped away from the importance of building business impact case through to, and we kind of forgot about that for seemingly about a decade. And now it's like, oh, yeah, yeah, we are supposed to be doing that, aren't we? That's what gets people to buy. I mean, in theory, in my head, had we continued that, then we would have seen even more success in the last 10 or so years. Now that's an opinion, but I would love to hear your opinion on perhaps why we have slipped out of that habit of really building those compelling business cases. So my husband puts it really well. I was telling you before we started, my husband's a CRO. So he's, you know, one of my greatest advisors and many interesting dog walks and (laughs) conversations around some of the challenges we're mutually experiencing. And I think, you know, he puts it really well, which is growth hides many cracks. And that is foundationally what's happened. When and the business is easy, it's really easy to get inured with some weaker behaviors where we get a little bit more lazy, quite frankly, about our ways of selling and servicing clients. And we expect we take their business for granted that bit more. And so I think the nice thing, quite honestly, about a down economy is it shines a light on what's working and what's not. And it allows you to get your house in order. Hopefully it doesn't take a down economy, quite frankly. That is what it takes. It gives you the chance to do that and to really, again, question your ways of working and get back to what is so foundational, which is driving that value for our clients, right? I mean, if you think about a traditional, typical thing at sales, 
is a mutual close plan. A client doesn't care about closing the deal. It's about a mutual go-live plan, right? It's about what we're actually going to be doing with them. So I think it's really that difference in thinking and just being really obsessive about the impact and value that you're looking to have for your clients and caring about that well beyond point of signature across both sales and customer success as well. I love that quote. Hopefully that makes it easier for me to track him down. (laughs) And so I'll come back to the other question I had in my head because it's so relevant to that, which is in your sales kickoff, how are you communicating to your team? This is how we should be communicating business impact. This is how we are going to approach it this year. So for me, it's a really important piece, which is you got to know your clients, right? And so foundationally, and I talk about this all the time for anyone on my team listening to this, foundationally, a company cares about three things, which is growing, saving cost, and reducing risk. And so I don't care how junior your buyer is. I don't care where you are sitting within the org. Even though what we're talking about may sound really micro, it is, in my opinion, our job and opportunity to almost bungee cord them up to understand what's the connection between this and that cost initiative that I saw your CEO was going in and talking about. But again, our opportunity as reps is not to meet them where they are. It's to help advise them and make those points of connection. But we can only do that when we've done the heavy lifting, the due diligence, the curiosity wrap, if you will, to be informed and to understand, just as you did coming into our call today, for example, you know, that level of due diligence into every conversation we have, that's where opportunity comes from for all of us. Are you changing your go-to-market approach anyway to kind of adapt to the kind of down economy that we're in at the minute? And if so, how so? And if not, why not? Yeah, so we are in a few different ways, right? So I think one of the exciting things that we've shifted this year is that we've created a team focused on our scaled clients. So clients that are on the lower end of spend with Thomas, who are super, super clients of ours, and we do really, really great work together. But again, we need to work with them and meet them where they need us which is usually much more reactive and tactical and just, you know, help me find this, help me get to here versus some of our large scale enterprise and strategic clients that need much more strategic and proactive support. So we've done a lot to evolve our approach so that we disaggregate the different types of clients that we have and can meet them where they are and make sure they're getting value at the right points of time from us. So that's been a key one. The other one with our customer engagement team, which has been very exciting, is we just, just this week, just yesterday, actually, so fresh off the press, we launched a customer community, which even the thousands of companies that we work with globally and hundreds of thousands of accredited practitioners that know us at different points in their career is an incredible opportunity for them to learn from each other, to learn around the use cases they're looking to apply our tools in, and to have that much more self-service access to some of the resources that they want to as and when they need to on demand. So that's been a really exciting initiative as well. Again, because I think it's about meeting customers where they are and doing that with haste rather than making assumptions around that. Yeah, I love the premise and the concept. And and I love this idea of bringing everyone together, particularly when they are 
sharing their own experiences of the product at that point rather than you know it being dictated almost by the company itself instead it's all of the users then being able to share the value and experiences that they're getting from it yeah yeah exactly and i mean it was funny even just today i had someone say yeah we should push out an update and you know a campaign on xyz and i said you've got to remember we have a very small number of people who opt into our database as is with most businesses right I mean, I opt out dozens of times a day to simplify my own workflow, but I also want to be able to go to the places that I have access to, to get the information that I need as and when I need it. So I think that's a really important evolution in meeting our customers where they are. And again, doing that on a much more scalable basis for our businesses as well. What would you say, and I'm going to come at this from a sales perspective, because it's it's very much in line with a lot of the things that I've been talking about with quite a few different guests on recently. What would you say differentiates your top performing sellers compared to some of the others that you're trying to get kind of above the waterline? So I think it's really that idea of slowing down, right? So I was on with a couple of calls today with my sales team, and one of them put it beautifully and said, basically, I'm going to slow us down here. And then he went into really taking the time to understand the need and the why, rather than rushing to the immediate ask, which is very tempting to do because you said you needed this thing and I know I can deliver this thing. But in building that larger opportunity and discussion, we're really understanding the broader impact that we can have, where it's going to add value and crafting the right solution Because keep in mind, we've been around for over 40 years. A lot of companies were very lucky, come to us and think they know what they want with us. And we can normally do that. But there's usually a much larger opportunity to add value as well, based on what they're trying to achieve, based on areas they don't even know we can help on because we've changed over those 40 odd years. And so I think that's a big part of the premise there. I love that. And I assume this all comes back down to how you are approaching discovery and the kind of questions that you are asking. And so how do you, knowing that and knowing how effective it can be to slow down, how do you approach getting all of your team on board with that and really bringing them up to that level where they are slowing down to listen to what they're hearing and to then start asking the right questions from there to really understand what might be the best solution? So it kind of goes back to why I was sitting on two discovery calls. These were early stage initial discovery calls today because beauty about sales, no matter how much AI and all the rest of it comes into play, it is a human activity and it is an art. There's no script. There's no recipe A plus B, right? There is a human activity and how you choose to do it and I choose to do it and someone else will look and should look and feel different and unique to us and our our kind of voice as well. And so because of that, coaching is at the heart of everything. And you can sit there and academically say, this is happening, that's happening, the data shows that. Does it really? And so there's some things that I've got. I've got hypotheses in my own head. I've got questions in my own head. And I'm zooming in on these calls with my team just to test my own hypotheses. And even in the second call that I was in today, when I debriefed with the rep, which is also important, I shared with him, I was like, I had two big learnings from that call for myself. And these are what they were. What do you think? Right. But that's that curiosity as well that I think is really important. 
Just a quick reminder, and then we will be right back to the show. At Revenue Insights, our goal is to share how top-performing revenue leaders build predictable, efficient, go-to-market teams. Every week, we speak to the brightest minds, and every quarter, we release the latest findings from our analysis of billions of dollars in pipeline. If you don't want to miss out, sign up to our newsletter at ebster.com forward slash newsletter dash sign up. That's ebster.com forward slash newsletter dash sign up. The link to make that a little bit easier for you will be in the show notes of this episode wherever you're listening. See you there. I love that you're jumping onto those calls as well and getting that firsthand perspective, right? I find in, in my own role that there's so much value in going back and listening to calls or just shadowing them in the background because you're getting really firsthand experience rather than going back through just a small amount. And you, there's so little that you can then draw from it. Yeah. And I mean, I especially last year when we were going through some transitions, I spoke with my managers quite often and some folks that were newer to working with me. And I said, being a revenue manager to me is not an ivory tower job. I expect you out there in the coal face every week because it's only there that you really can support, you really can coach, and you really can learn to be able to inform our customer enablement team or our product team about what we're hearing and have that virtuous cycle with customers and prospects as well. And I appreciate it. I love your perspective because there's always, with so many folks that I speak to, it generally sits somewhere between the art and, and science of selling. And from just us talking, I'm feeling that you're kind of more over towards the, the art of selling side. But I must then ask the question of how do you use the science of selling? Do you use the science of selling within your teams? And, and if so, could you give an example of how? Yeah, so we've been evolving the science of how we look at things a lot more because I think our tech stack and ways of working has been a little bit behind certainly where I would have liked it to be. So we've made some changes to freshen that up as well. But again, I think what's interesting is it's easy to invest in tech and tech solving for everything. And the reality is that's never going to happen. Tech will not fix and solve for a dysfunctional or broken process as an example. And so I think the key thing with data is, again, having RevOps in particular help steer and point a light on the data that needs to be considered and the so what of that data. Because folks like me only have so many hours in the day to proactively go into the data and to understand it. And that's where that partnership, really, really close collaboration is key. And so one of the things that we did just last year is we had our ops team operate almost on a sub-functional level. So like a CS ops, a sales ops, et cetera. And we centralized as a new RevOps team that launched in Q1 of last year. And that's been a huge step change to be able to stabilize our current tech stack and then to advance, not only to better right now analytics, but better future state analytics as well. So what do we know about how people are utilizing the product, for example, that indicates they may be a churn risk? So being able to be much more proactive and preemptive around things like that. Is there perhaps one achievement from that newly formed RevOps teams from the last 12 months that you are most proud of? Oh, there's a lot. It's been a real <laughs> bright spot. I mean, again, it's really interesting. Sometimes we're moving so quickly, we lose sight of all these micro wins because we just are moving on to the next and the next and the next. But I think the entire language that this business speaks and the understanding of commercials, the alignment of it from through to forecasting to quality of pipeline, 
through to activity levels. Like it's just completely changed from what it was a year ago. And again, not with a inside, you know, navel gazing view of it's got to be this way just because, but keeping our clients at the center of all of that because it's about driving the right behavior to get to great outcomes for them. Absolutely. I love that. Jenny, final question. What is one book that you'd recommend other revenue leaders and why? So again, in line with my profile, I couldn't just do one. (laughs) And it's difficult. (laughs) I'll allow it. I'll take two hats. So one, going back to my CEB days, I couldn't not say the challenger sale because (laughs) I know it's been around for a long time, but I still think it is just such an impactful piece of work. And if you listen to what Matt Dixon has gone on to since with the Jolt effect, they only continue to build on that data as well as a catalog of work also. So I think that's fantastic. I also am a huge fan with my broader leadership hat on of Brene Brown. Mm. So any Brene Brown's work particularly dared to lead, the role of vulnerability, the role of open and honest conversations is really core to how I manage and lead as well. And so that would be my other one. I, I love that. Actually, with both, I love that I've spoken to a few folks from that have worked at CEB previously, and uh, everyone always goes for the challenge of sale. Like, that is a fantastic testimony if, if there is one. Drink the Kool-Aid. Drink the Kool-Aid. <laughs> <laughs> Very effective, clearly. Jenny, thank you so much for your time and your insight today. It's been a pleasure to chat. For anyone that's been listening and maybe has questions or wants to connect and reach out, where can they find you? Yeah, absolutely. So I'm available on LinkedIn. So you can feel free to connect in with me there. If you're interested in understanding a little bit more about how people science can play a role in scaling and hiring up more effective revenue teams also, feel free to drop me a note and I can connect in more directly on that topic. Awesome. I will make sure we put links to all of that in the show notes below, as well as Jenny's two book recommendations. Jenny, thank you again. It's been a real pleasure. And to everyone that's listened this week, so much we'll see you next week super thanks lee thanks for listening to revenue insights if you want to learn more subscribe to our newsletter and we'll deliver every episode straight to your inbox if you have any questions feel free to connect with us on linkedin our links will be in the episode notes see you next week